In 2007, as Barack Obama's presidential campaign was just getting started, the campaign's new media team focused their efforts around three M's, messaging, money, and mobilization. We see enough television ads to understand the importance of messaging and money, but unless you've been directly involved with the campaign, the mobilization piece might seem a bit opaque. What exactly is grassroots organizing, and what does it accomplish? Hello and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and today we're joined by Marshall Gans, a senior lecturer in public policy here at the Kennedy School, who's been actively involved with union, political, and community organizing over the last 50 years. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. So you dropped out of Harvard College uh, in the early 60s to go work on civil rights and eventually the unionization of farm workers in California. And I'll note that I'll, you did come back and finish it uh, 28 years later. Yep. But uh, I, I'm, I wanted to get a sense of uh, what about organizing was so powerful that it you know, led you to take that big step, lead you in that direction? Well, I think, I think initially it... it um I don't know whether it was organizing. It was more, it was the cause uh, of those circumstances. And uh, it was a civil rights movement. uh, And, you know, that's a lot what was happening around us. And I had um, grown up, uh, my father's a rabbi, my mother was a teacher. And we'd actually lived in Germany for three years after the uh, Second World War when he worked with Holocaust survivors. And my parents interpreted that to me as not being simply about anti-Semitism, but about racism. And that's what was being contested at the time in the country was its its history of institutionalized racism and and it was being challenged and um and it was a lot, it was young people who were challenging it i mean dr king when he led the bus boycott was 25 i mean the people doing the freedom rides and all that so if you were of my age at that time and you had a sense that there was something deeply wrong and that there was an opportunity to do something about it, um, you know, you sort of felt obligated to try. And um, and I think the key to the organizing piece was the opportunity to do something about it because it was there was something we could do about it. And the whole the civil rights movement itself really gets going not so much with the Brown v. Board of Education outlawing segregation because that was all through the courts. It was the boycott of buses in Montgomery, Alabama, the year after that, that put Dr. King on the map, but that people found that they could change things not by simply like getting lawyers to file suits, but by using their feet in a different way, Mm -hmm. that they could walk to work instead of riding the bus, and if all of them did it over a year, they could change things. They could desegregate the buses. And it was a discovery that ordinary people had the resources if they acted together that really sparked the movement. And so that's, and that's what organizing is about. It's about how people can use the resources they have uh, collectively to make change. Um, Sid Verba, who's taught here for many, many years, a real uh, classic scholar of, uh, of uh, voter participation, he said the, the real test, he says liberal democracy is an experiment in whether uh, equal voice can counterbalance unequal wealth, uh, and whether in the long run that'll really work. Well, equal voice to mean something, it's got to translate into people, time. How can time trump money? Otherwise, we've got a system that's captured by money. In an article that you wrote last year for the New Statesman, um, you stated, quote, 
Organizing is about change. Our institutions, on the other hand, are about continuity. Right. Um, can you elaborate on that exactly? How how does that work? Well, it's a, <laughs> it's a great it's a great question. Um, you know, we establish institutions to create predictability, uh, to create stability and predictability. But the problem is that our institutions often become um, in 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 tension with a changing world and changing needs in that world, and people whose voices haven't been heard that think they they should be heard, and and so there the the way. So change requires being able to challenge institutions, not simply operate within them. And so then the question is, well, how do you do that? And organizing is a lot about how you do that, whether it's people choosing to use their feet in a different way, Montgomery, Alabama, or in the case of uh, Obama's election in 2007, his opponent had most of the institutional support going in there. And so finding a way in which he could create the capacity to challenge the institutional support. You're talking about Hillary Clinton. I'm talking right? about Hillary, yeah, because Hillary mm-hmm. had most of the establishment support. Mm-hmm. And and that campaign was be- based on the idea that in four states you could organize, that is bring in new people in new ways, organize through new structures um, to uh, win an election um, mm-hmm. without relying on the traditional established institutions. So in a way, it's a classic example of how organizing can be used, whether it's in Iowa to turn out people to uh, go to caucuses or in South Carolina to uh, mobilize a whole constituency that just hadn't been mobilized before. Uh, or in uh, New Hampshire. It wasn't successful in New Hampshire, but it brought a lot of new people in. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the classic. It's sort of David's tool to deal with Goliath. Mm-hmm. Now, the Obama campaign seems a, a good um, example because when Obama was running for president at first, he was certainly attacking the incumbent um, system uh, and advocating for change explicitly. Um, but as soon as he became president, that campaign apparatus became uh, uh, Organizing for America, OFA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't <clears throat> able to really capitalize on that. That's is right. that because you know government is one of these institutions that really can't operate under that you know that that kind of constant change? I, it's a great question, and and I, I mean democracy is sort of based on the premise that contested elections are a way to sustain change. Hmm. And the problem is that when elections stop being contested, either because there's so much money on one side or because districts are designed so that they're non-competitive, then that mechanism kind of breaks down. The the institutional mechanism of renewal breaks down. And then usually, like social movements or outside things have to come along in order to make claims on it. So I don't know that government itself, but but I I think what happened with, with the Obama situation was that I think the campaign was much more about change than than um, than, the, than his governance was, and and I think there was a strategic shift in leadership approach, and in understanding of what you know of what was happening, because that mechanism the million and a half people organized in that uh, campaign, they were rare and ready to go, mm-hmm. but they weren't put to work; they were put to sleep, and that was a strategic choice the president and his advisors made that I think was a major error. 
a lot of the campaigns that are organized by you know everybody from uh, unions to organizations like uh, OFA, um, when they're organizing people to take action, some sort of mobilization, whether it be you know uh, a protest or a email campaign or a letter writing, whatever it is, um, a lot of people in offices of power, whether it be government or even private sector, you get the sense that they're a little bit apathetic to to it because it happens so often. There mm. are so many times that they're getting hit with these kinds of campaigns mm. on all issue areas. How does organizing actually, um, you know, result in change yeah, in that kind of... It's a great question. Well, I think, <clears throat> first, it's important to distinguish between mobilizing and organizing. Okay. And uh, we see a lot more mobilizing than organizing. Um, and, well, for example... Uh, the way young people were able to use the social media in Egypt to mobilize, turn out millions of people, come out for the rallies, for the events, very successful, right? Um, problem, uh, who reaped the fruits of that? The people with organization, the mother, Muslim Brotherhood in the first instance, and then the military. Organizing is about building the capacity, the leadership, the infrastructure, the organization that then is capable not only of mobilizing, of sending letters or, or turning out people for a rally or clicking a mouse, mm -hmm. but of actually being in a position to translate that into sustained uh, change. Um, so, for example, when I was working with the, uh, with the farm workers in California, we built an organization that was able to win legislation, but then be on the ground to actually translate that, that uh, legislation into reality. So the key in organizing is about building new capacity that wasn't there before uh, and then sustaining it. I mean, that's, that's its real contribution. Um, that and one other thing that I should say, uh, de Tocqueville, when he, when he you know, visited the U.S. in the 1830s and, and discovered um, the richness of American associationism, uh, he thought that was very important. He, even, he, he wrote a piece where he said, in a democracy, knowledge of how to combine we could understand as organized, is the mother of all forms of knowledge. Well, what was he talking about? He was worried about excessive individualism, radical individualism mm -hmm. that he thought would undermine the democratic project because how would people arrive at, a common, under, at common understandings? And so he pointed to these associations or organizations as places individuals would come together and by working together could acquire a broader understanding of their self-interest. And, and as critical then for learning, not just for mobilizing resources, but also for learning what those resources needed to be mobilized for. And, and that's something that organizing accomplishes as well. So I think we often just see the mobilizing end of it. And today, it's very easy to just mobilize. Mm -hmm. uh, but it comes and it goes. Right. And probably one of the best examples is after Sandy Hook when, when uh, overwhelming you know, people thought we really needed uh, some real legislative change on, on guns. Uh, overwhelming, uh, and there were lots of mobilizing about it. It was just, you know, peaks of mobilization. Um, yeah, but who carried the day were the folks with organization, in that case, the NRA. 1,300 gun clubs all across America, 13,000 gun clubs all across mm -hmm. America, built at a grassroots base with real constituency and real leadership that over the long haul is able to sustain those moments of mobilization. So how does that organization uh, actually enact change? Either through, so, so it's all, it always comes down to question of power. Mm -hmm. And if we understand power as a relationship, um, if your need for my resource is greater than my need 
for your resource. Who's got the power? You. Yeah. And and that's kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. Now, if we have an equal need of each other's resource, well, then we got we can collaborate. Mm-hmm. And we call that building power with. That's like collaborating with a, like a credit union, like a, a co-op, like. But very often, these are the, the problem is is one of power over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't pay any attention to what I need because you don't need to. Right. But I got to do what you want because I need to. Mm-hmm. All right. So it always comes down to power. So then the question is. How can you, what kind of resources can people mobilize through organizing that can influence those whose resources they need, mm-hmm. if you follow me? Sure. Okay, in the bus example, it's really clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we can uh, walk to work. Bus doesn't get bus fare. If one person does it, doesn't matter. A lot of people do it, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's how boycotts work, and boycotts are very traditional tools of organizing because there it's a it's an economic cost. Mm-hmm. So it's it's how you translate it into cost. Politicians respond when they think votes are really at stake or when they think that the organizers are capable of raising enough money to challenge them, but it it will always come down to a question of votes or money or time. Uh, when uh, you know uh, people are trying to get large institutions to um, change their uh, investment policies. It's a question of uh, can they perhaps cause enough question of the reputation of that institution that it would cost them money. It's always about cost or power. Just different ways of describing the same thing. Mm -hmm. What organizing offers is a way that a lot of people with small amounts of resources can combine them to make a difference. And actually, I think probably one of the best examples was uh, it took place right here in, in New England, in Boston, uh, before the American Revolution, uh, mm-hmm. as a lead up to it. Uh, Sam Adams and the others here, the Sons of Liberty, they organized something called the Solemn League and Covenant. Mm-hmm. And that was a deal where you, they were signing people up to not buy British goods. And that was, that was what they were doing. So withdraw right. from the British... And, of course, we know, all know of one instance of that. <laughs> of course. The where they dumped party. some tea in the harbor. <laughs> yep. But it was an example of the power of organizing, mm-hmm. getting lots of people to pool their resources together to add up to power that can affect power that's much more concentrated on the other side. Well, uh, Marshall Gantz, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. It was really appreciated having you on. Thank you. You've been listening to HKS PolicyCast a production of Harvard Kennedy School. Hear more interviews at hks.harvard.edu slash policycast. And join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag policycast. Policycast.